If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 201 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Dr. Ellen Wagner, an award-winning learning technologist and a self-described learning activist. Ellen really is passionate about learning, and she has a depth and breadth of experience in the field of learning and learning technology. She served as Senior Director of Worldwide eLearning for Adobe Systems, and she was Senior Director of Worldwide Education Solutions for Macromedia. She was Chief Learning Officer and Director of Education for Viviance New Education, a Swiss-based e-learning company. She was a tenured professor and chair of the Educational Technology Program at the University of Northern Colorado. And all of that is just a smattering of her background. Ellen and I talk about data analytics, which happens to be an area of expertise for her. And we also talk about learning engineering. That's a term that's not new per se, but it is getting some newfound attention. Well, as you've just made clear, Ellen has a just a, a broad and deep background in the world of learning. She has a lot to say that's going to be useful to listeners. And you know, Salisa, that we've talked about wanting to move to offering a reflection question or two to go along with these podcast episodes so that it's more possible to, to process the great information that comes from all of the, the people that we interview here. So we're going to include uh, a first set of those reflection questions in the show notes to this show, but you're always going to be able to find them going forward by going to the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode number. And so show notes for this episode are going to be available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 201. And you might consider the reflection questions on your own after listening to an episode, or you might pull your team together if you have one and use part or all of the episode to give you some common ground, some common points of reference for a group discussion. And so with that in mind, Salisa, what suggestions do you have about what to listen for during this episode with Ellen Wagner that might prime folks for those reflection questions? Well, I would say first, listen to Ellen's emphasis on knowing the problem you want to solve or the question you want to answer before turning to data analytics. And then after the episode, think about what problems you're trying to solve, what questions you're trying to answer with data analytics. And then second, Ellen talks about how branching out into data science made her a bit uncomfortable. She had to be willing to give up her position of knowledge, which she clearly holds in instructional design. She had to give that confidence up in order to be able to benefit from and tap into the valuable perspective, the valuable tools available in other fields, in this case, data science. And so after the episode, you might want to think about where are you perhaps too comfortable? Where might you need to get a bit uncomfortable in order to benefit from a new perspective? So some excellent points to keep in mind as we roll into this interview with Dr. Ellen Wagner. (music) 
Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ellen Wagner, founder and managing partner of North Coast Edge Advisory Services, which helps higher ed and commercial organizations make better use of data analytics, resources, talent, and tech platforms. Ellen is an award-winning learning technologist with deep experience across multiple industries. Ellen, thank you for coming on the Leading Learning Podcast. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to uh, a very energizing conversation today. Wonderful. And so, you know, I just hinted at your background with that brief introduction. And so to start off, what else would you like listeners to know about you and your work as background for our conversation? Oh, boy, where to begin? <laughs> um, well, I've been at this learning thing for a while. In fact, I guess I would describe myself as a learning activist. I mean, if one thing has been consistent over the the number of different types of roles I've had in the types of different settings, um, I've been driven by a fascination for learning. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that, it, it's probably the most personal thing that we do. And for all that many of us do in this profession, the learning and development profession, um, when you really get down to it, what most of us are doing are arranging contingencies in the world around us to make sure that the people we're trying to serve are motivated, interested enough, and um, attending enough that, that we can get them on board with um, making some of the motivational changes or some of the cognitive changes that we think are relevant for what they've got to do on the work, on, on the work floor or um, in the classroom or just basically out in, in life as we know it today. Well, I love that uh, label of, of learning activist, um, and I think that's a, a great term. And I've been aware of your name and your work for years at this point, but um, what caught my eye recently was an e-learning guild report that you wrote, um, and that sort of brought you back front to mind and, and made me want to reach out to have this conversation today. And the report is called Learning Engineering, a Primer. So will you tell us what is learning engineering and, and why this renewed interest in, in a not necessarily new idea? Well, I will tell you about my fascination with uh, learning engineering, because like many of us, I heard this term and I wasn't quite sure what it meant. Um, having been an, a lifelong instructional designer, regardless of what my job has been at the heart of my practice, has always been um, my interest in you know, really considering the type of learning experience that I might want to create for the people I'm working with. So hearing something called learning engineering fascinated me. Um, I was fascinated because I had uh, recently to that um, finished working on a very large and long-winded research project dealing with a lot of learning analytics, which I know you are going to ask me about in a little while, but this is all sort of tied together. And uh, learning analytics being one of those places where uh, we in EdTech found ourselves having to come face-to-face -face with the reality that many of the platforms that we use to do our work generate tremendous amounts of data as we create our work. And it has dawned on many of us that if we were smart about uh, trying to get better at improving our services or the solutions that we create, that we could be taking a look at what I would even call just the digital dust of our activities, mm. see what's going on and start making some decisions. Well, as this idea 
uh, of working with um, learning analytics started to increase and becomes more, and become more broadly relevant in you know any type of learning environment that you can imagine because every single learning environment you can imagine will have some type of tech that is somehow gathering information from us as we as we use it in the pursuit of our work well you know there's nothing wrong with that you know there's nothing insidiously wrong about having information gathered um What's wrong, I think, if there is something wrong, is, is not taking advantage if there are things that we can learn from that to get better at what we're doing. So, you know, in our early days of learning how to work with data, we, we, we realized that most of us working in education or training had very good and solid foundations to work from, but that as often happens as technologies become more complex we we needed to turn to specialists and other disciplines who really understood more about say data science or who understood more about computer science or who understood more about the type of interoperability standards that some of us were going to have to be worrying about when we created our learning designs if we wanted it to play in one environment um, and then play in another. Now, some of you might be saying, oh, the LMS game. <laughs> and I would say, oh, no, you think I'm talking LMSs. You know nothing of which I speak. It, it's even worse than that. Imagine LMSs times 100. Imagine trying to have to leap around within systems across enterprises, um, across industries, to make sure that the things that you're doing can, in fact, literally transfer because they're not even courses and content like we've mm. known it. It's going to be experiences, say, from a Fitbit, or it might actually be something that you've done within the experience of, of an immersive online game. Now, how do we deal with information like that? Well, I think for most of us, we could learn how to do it. We always have. But I know my experience when I started working with very, very large data systems was to turn to people who weren't hacking their way into trying to figure out how to make something work. We turned to professionals from the data sciences and the computer sciences to actually show us what they were doing in their professional practices so that we could learn more. That just seemed to make a lot of sense. So with that as sort of a foundation, Let's roll this back up to your question about what is learning engineering. And I would say that learning engineering is the opportunity for most of us working in learning and development environments to take better advantage of the type of professional competencies um, that, that, that do take place in settings where the platforms and the skills that are needed to make our, our tools work at the levels we want them to work are, are more readily available. Does that make sense? It does. So, I mean, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, I mean, part of what interests you in this term is, is that learning engineering really is sort of broader or it more accurately perhaps captures kind of what we have to do in order to support learners and, and um, deliver effectively. So it's kind of broader than courses, broader than instructional design, really kind of a, a much broader view of, of learning and how it happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there were you know, a simple way to think about it, which is whenever you make things simple, you will typically find that it's not going to probably be the most completely accurate way of describing it. But I've seen some people describing learning engineering as almost thinking more about the, the packaging, 
that might be used, the administration types of concerns that you might need for dealing with a course or a, an experience or content or, you know, learning in whichever form you would want the learning to be captured, but would then have to somehow be transmitted, shared, wrapped, packaged, counted, uh, exchanged, you know, all the things that would require the opportunity to use it in any number of settings typically require skills to do that, which extend far beyond that which most of us are doing in an instructional design setting. Mm. Well, and so you started to answer that question by by talking first about learning analytics, and I know that that's been uh, an area of interest for you for a while now. You, you co-founded the predictive analytics reporting or PAR framework, um, and that's a predictive analytics research effort, uh, and I know it went on to be acquired and is being, you know, applied and used to to help um, folks. So, you know, you've begun to, I think, talk about it some, but maybe say a little bit more about kind of your take on the role of data analytics in learning, you know, what it can help with, um, and, and potentially, you know, what its limitations or even d- dangers are. Sure. And, and what, what I think this will do is it's also going to tie back into the, the learning engineering because just, just to wrap that up as I jump back into the analytics, the thing about learning engineering is that at this point in its evolution, it's going to look a lot like the person who is interested in doing their piece of the work. So when I talk about learning engineering, you're going to hear a lot more interest in learning analytics and the use of data in decision-making because when I encountered the need for the technical expertise to get my work done in my learning design work, I needed data scientists because they were the ones who were going to help me figure out how to actually make decisions about you know, if I needed to figure out how to do predictive analytics that would help us find, you know, students at risk of dropping out of college, which was what we were working on, we had to be very clear that what we were looking for would actually give us answers to that set of questions. And the idea that we could collect all the information that we had and eventually we could sort it out, which I know is something that some of us will hear these days about, well, gee, we might as well just collect all the information because we'll figure out how to use it someday. (laughs) Well, maybe. Um, My experience is is that that's a, a pretty heavy use of resources that might be spent more effectively in other ways. Mm. So far be it for me to tell you not to do something like that, but um, I certainly was not interested in collecting 500 different random variables on 3 million individuals with the hopes that maybe we could find something. We were Mm. a lot more targeted than that because the questions we could answer could only be answered in certain ways. So why boil the ocean when really all I needed was two cups of seawater? Great. And so, um, you know, it sounds like then one of the potential kind of dangers can be then collecting uh, too much data because that can actually then get in the way of answering 
the questions that you really want to answer as a learning business if you're trying to, in your case, figure out what might um, cause students to drop out and and how to uh, stop that from happening. So that's kind of one danger. So being really careful with what you're collecting sounds like a a recommendation that, that you would have. Any other sort of thoughts around kind of, you know, how to best approach uh, learning analytics and, and data analytics? Oh, you bet. Um, yeah, I mean, I think basically the, and this is going to sound really simple, because in fact, starting simply really is the best way to do this. You really have to have an idea of what type of a problem you are trying to solve with your data analytics. Mm-hmm. And not having an idea of a problem to solve will allow you to get work done. Um, but it, it tends to be the type of, when you're dealing with analytics and you're sort of in search of an answer to a hypothetical question, my experience has been that you can be seeking that answer for a really, really long time and you might never know if you found it. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, you know, analytics is not going to be something like magic eight ball where all of a sudden the answer (laughs) mysteriously forms as you're looking at a dashboard and you see the light, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I I wish I could tell you that data analytics is this wonderful sort of insightful activity. You know, for the most part, what it is, is it's, it's a lot of just really thinking about what it is you need to figure out and then looking for the information that will help you determine the answers to your questions. So uh, do you worry about collecting too much information? Well, you might remember when I was talking before about all of the different platforms that I, that collect, I mean, frankly, almost every single keystroke that you might put into something. And that might sound onerous and scary, like, oh my goodness, they're collecting every single keystroke. Well, you know, they actually, a lot of these systems can't keep all that information. So they also get rid of every single keystroke unless you tell it to save certain ones. So the, the, the notion of making sure that as you are thinking ahead to why you might want to be using data in your organization, for the most part, people want it to help inform their decision-making. So as long as you realize that in a learning organization, there are going to be certain things that you can use your data to determine. And in an enterprise, more often than not, being able to support your sales organization or your product organization or your HR organization or your compliance um, uh, unit as they support the HR organization is going to really help you determine the size of the questions that you have to answer. So at the end of the day, if you think about it in terms of what problems do you have to solve, they might be really big problems. But they might also be really smallish types of questions for which you may actually have the information right there in your hands. At which point, then the data analytics could be something as simple as um, pulling up survey responses. It might be as simple as looking at a combination of um, surveys or course outcomes or uh, summaries of uh, other information that have been collected within the unit. I mean, I think that this almost, well, let's put it this way. The second thing that people do after they try to determine what problem they are trying to solve is to literally ask themselves the question of what information sources will I need to answer that question? Mm-hmm. 
So again, not particularly big insights here, but really one step after the other. What do you want to be able to do? What are you going to need to be able to do that? What types of analyses are you going to need from those data to get answers to those questions? Do you have the staff on board to help you answer those questions? And it doesn't have to be a huge, complex, multiple regression that will provide you with some type of predictive response. It might be something as easy as a distribution curve. It might be something as simple as true-false. It might be something as how many people passed that course. Mm -hmm. How many people took that course? How many customers came back? If you're looking for a partner to help you clarify the problems you might solve or the decisions you might make using data analytics, we encourage you to check out our sponsor. Authentic Learning Labs is an e-learning company that offers products and services to help improve your current investments in education. One key product is Authentic Analytics, a dedicated suite of visualization reports that help analyze and predict the performance of education programs. Organizations use Authentic Analytics to easily scan through volumes of data and intuitive visuals, chart performance trends, and quickly spot opportunities, issues, and potential future needs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. And now, back to the interview as Ellen offers an example of the clarifying power of knowing what question you're looking to answer when making use of data analytics. I think your point about being really clear on that decision to be made or the problem to be solved, as, as you phrased it, it that, that is really um, so effective because then it focuses uh, you in terms of what data then to, to go out and um, make use of or, or potentially begin collecting if you haven't already um, been doing that. But to be really crystal clear on that is paramount. Let me j- just, to, just to give an example, uh, the project that we have been talking about, this PAR framework, was a project we started to see if we could create a predictive analytics engine that could, in fact, help us find college students at risk of dropping out of college. And at the time we were doing it, it was a little bit of, I wouldn't say it was a dare because we weren't daring anybody, but it was something that really hadn't been done in education in the way we were proposing to do it. So um, it was new enough that we thought we would give it a shot. We really could not consider looking at variables across the world, if you will, because we wouldn't have a chance to get them. So it came down to things like, Three questions. Can we predict whether or not someone will drop out of college? Can, if we can, can we tell the differences between four-year schools and two-year schools? And if we can, can we tell the difference between different types of demographic groups? So it was really very simple to begin with. And once we did that, we realized we could answer those questions by finding about, to begin with, about 35 variables, which really simplified the process of where we had to go and ask permission to get the information that we needed to use. So, you know, it doesn't have to really be an impossible task. I will say, just so people understand where this grew, by the time we finished, we were getting information from over 40 universities. We had more than 3 million students that were included in this data set. And we had information about 20 million different courses and how students were performing in these courses so that, in fact, not only could we find which students were at risk of dropping out of their courses, 
we were able to anticipate the types of interventions that were helpful for keeping them in school. That ended up being a whole other side of some research we had to do. But this turned out to not be as complicated as as we thought it was going to be because we reduced the size of our questions to something we could actually get our heads wrapped around. Mm. The, the clarifying power of questions. That's great. And so thank you for sharing that example because I think that really does help bring it home. Um, what powerful things you can uh, achieve with data analytics if you're really clear on what you're trying to do. So, you know, we got into data analytics because we were talking about learning engineering and sort of data analytics being a, a key part of that in your view. You know, some of our listeners here are hands-on instructional designers and developers. Um, some of our listeners are, are the folks who collaborate with those instructional designers or, or lead those designers. Um, you know, so they're one step or even more than one step removed from the instructional design work. You know, from your perspective, having, um, you know, lived and breathed uh, the, the course development and design for, for many years, and then also working with others to design and develop, you know, what do you really think is critical for everyone, regardless of job title, to understand about learning engineering so that they can, you know, effectively play their role in producing uh, good learning experiences? I think the future of learning engineering is going to be pretty directly tied to the future of instructional design. I mean, in my worldview, I, I have a hard time separating the two sets of activities to the point where, um, well, in fact, I described it to somebody that when I actually started this work, I, I, I thought at first it might be like oil and water because mm. I couldn't for the life of me figure out why it was that these learning engineers kept trying to do what I thought we in instructional design had been doing so many years. I now understand that there's a lot more to it, uh, and I appreciate the fact that I'm going to have collaborative partners. So for me, it's not so much like oil and water anymore. It's a lot more like peanut butter and jelly. Mm. You know, I mean, I want to be able to have the, 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 the opportunity to bring the engineering strengths and capabilities to my design work so that much as you would find in engineering and architecture, uh, engineering and design work in many parts of, uh, of the design world. I mean, I'm thinking very specifically about, say, building design and construction. Why wouldn't I want to be able to have a rock-solid foundation for my beautiful artistic uh, building designs. You know, having both of them together just makes perfect sense. So for me, I guess I see it as a combination. What that means as a designer is that I have needed to create competencies within myself where I have better opportunities to actually collaborate and communicate with my new learning engineering partners, which means I've had to go back and learn a lot more in my world about data science because that's where I've chosen to connect most actively in recent years. Um, thanks to a new project I'm getting involved in right now, um, I'm having to go back and learn a whole lot about computer science from, from you know, what it is that computer science uh, professionals actually learn. Because right now, I don't know how to bridge the gap between computer science and instructional design because I don't know where the bridge connects, which mm. means I'm having to you know, let go of my instructional design expertise be humble and learn about a whole new discipline from the bottom up. Um, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's mm. also, it's making me a little, well, uh, uncomfortable, I think, 
is a, is a fair term because I have to let go of all those things that we carry with us once we establish expertise, which is being really, really open to hearing how people describe something that I know well through a completely different filter. If you're looking for help bridging gaps in your team's abilities and tapping into new expertise and knowledge, we encourage you to check out our sponsor. Com Partners helps learning businesses conceive, develop, and fulfill their online education strategy. Their solutions begin with Elevate LMS, an award-winning learning management platform that provides a central knowledge community and drives learner engagement. To extend the value of Elevate, Com Partners provides a wide range of online education services, including curriculum design, instructional design, fully managed webinars, webcasts, live stream programs, and virtual conferences. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash compartners. And now, back to the interview as Salisa asked Ellen for her assessment of the current state of learning and learning technology and what's on the horizon. Well, you know, it, you've been involved in, in learning and, and learning technology for so many years at this point. Uh, you know, I think we're getting a, a taste of, of that depth of experience as we've been talking. Um, but if you kind of apply that uh, depth and breadth of experience that you bring to this field uh, and you look out to the horizon, you know, what do you see as um, kind of the, the, the most exciting things that are out there on the, the horizon? And actually, in addition to sort of looking out, I mean, maybe even start with kind of the, the current landscape and what do you see as sort of the opportunities and, and, and challenges there? And then also let us know kind of where you think things are evolving. I was going to get all really serious about this, <laughs> and I realized that I had a very fun and funny experience last week when I was in Sweden, when I went to the ABBA Museum. Mm. Now, you might be saying, oh, Ellen, you can't be serious. Are you using this as an, ex- as an example in this podcast? Yes, I am, because what I was able to do last week was to perform on the stage with ABBA in the Holographic Museum. Mm. Now, is that going to be my opportunity for learning experiences in the future. Well, maybe not. But the fact is, is that I stood there in this little auditorium watching people have an absolute blast positioning themselves on stage so that they too could be performing with the band in their part of the band Mm -hmm. and watching crowds of people going through doing this until I finally just couldn't stop and I had to get up there and do it myself. (laughs) And the fact that I might find, we might find ourselves performing in learning settings with our holographic collaboration partners over time and space is a little bit of a head trip if you stop and consider it. But what an amazing opportunity to learn and to engage and to to, to work with people it, that in ways that we never would have imagined before. So how's that for pushing the envelope in a way that you might not have expected from me? <laughs> Are you going to sing a little for us now? <laughs> oh, I doubt it. No, see, luckily they didn't have us on microphone. I just had to stand there and sort of bop along behind the rest of the band. So it was pretty safe. Excellent. So, so sort of the potential for um, extended reality to, to kind of impact how we interact with others and learn with others. I think that's part of what you're getting at there with the, the ABBA example. Um, well, things like transcending time, transcending space. Mm-hmm. In this particular instance, we're talking about engaging with people who aren't even really there. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to create an experience that in this particular case was just pure entertainment. But uh, think of the number of movies we've seen over the years where we are in, in, interacting with uh, historical figures from the past. What if you could actually do that in a holographic form? Hmm. Yes. So that's kind of, uh, you know, potentially on the horizon or on the horizon, you're, you've actually experienced uh, it there. A, in, a, simple, in a, simple, a simple engagement, but an engagement nonetheless that yeah. gave me a chance to say, holy moly, what if I could actually have that conversation with Abraham Lincoln that we saw in one of those funny movies from so long ago that we all laughed about? Oh, ha, 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 wouldn't that be funny? But, oh, my gosh, imagine, imagine a middle school history class where you could actually ask President Lincoln about what it felt like at some of those points in the middle of the Civil War when you were trying to figure out how to deal with some of what was going on. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it could be very powerful um, and engaging a sort of, a, you know, our empathy, which can be so key to, to learning um, and really putting us in that situation. Yeah, so, I'm realizing I'm using a lot of education examples just because they're sometimes a little easier for us to get our heads around. I can imagine lots of different things in our training settings where if you wanted to be able to imagine, you know, getting inside some of the risk environments where you could imagine yourselves actually being in those risk environments before you'd ever have to be there. Mm-hmm. These things are happening right now. So I think that for a lot of us who don't have to be out on the front lines in environments where we are necessarily in positions to make those investments, we, not, we might not imagine that it's right around the corner for us. But uh, I think the one other thing I would just mention for most that, that most of us need to keep in mind is that we think it's going to be coming in the future, but we don't realize how fast the future is going to be here. Mm. So it's a short time horizon until, right, these things become more broadly available. I mean, like you're mm-hmm. making the point, they're already existing. And mm-hmm. so that just the, the getting applied across a variety of fields and industries is going to happen quickly. Yep. Well, great. So um, next to last question, we're going to switch gears a little bit. This is a question we like to ask of all our podcast guests, and it's uh, one that focuses on your personal learning um, specifically. Uh, and obviously, you already just shared a little bit about ABBA, maybe more <laughs> entertainment rather than education, but what is one of your most powerful learning experiences, something that you've been in, involved in as an adult sort of since finishing your, your formal education? I was invited to a National Science Foundation meeting a few years ago and found myself in a small room with several people people that I had studied for years. And so to find us, I think there was a, it was a group of about 10 of us to find myself in this group of 10 was a bit of a surprise, but, um, hugely exciting for me since there were researchers, some of these data people I was telling you about that had been really leading the way on some of the research that uh, I was just thrilled to be a part of the conversation. And, uh, as a part of this effort, uh, we, we, spend some time talking to one another about the type of research we were doing and the type of directions that the National Science Foundation was hoping to do with um, their interest in large N research studies. Um, and, and, and I mention this because, you know, for all the talk today about my doing this, the research, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, is that I am a businesswoman. Um, I have been running businesses for 30 years now, but having been a professor in the earlier part of my life, when, when required 
to do so. And in fact, some of the projects have required me to do this. I travel as a professor and researcher reasonably well. So I still do find myself in these settings, but I, but I have to tell you that that I do so with a real recognition that I am a business-minded person in these settings. So to be in this room with all these folks and then have the convener of the room turn to us and smile and say, well, we're all going to write a paper together this afternoon. And we were all uh, turned loose in Google Documents and we created a white paper in about three hours hmm. together. And the fact that there we were, uh, everybody was, we all wrote the paper together in real time, sitting around the table, um, sort of talking to each other occasionally because we were right across the table from each other, but we all wrote a white paper in real time, just sitting around a table. I've never done anything like that. That's fascinating. Before yeah. or since. Yeah. But cause imagine just say, okay, we, we need to get it done this afternoon guys. So let's go. <laughs> and it's like, Holy cow. These are the people that I read my whole life. And here we are writing something together and it was fun and you got to write over each other and you'd have to go back and sometimes explain it. But then we were finished. It was, it was, I guess it was like a writer's version, a researcher's version of a hackathon. Mm. It was awesome. Wonderful. Uh, it's an excellent example. Um, and I think one that uh, other folks could, could emulate. Some of our listeners might try that uh, white paper-a-thon, hackathon there. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, so final question just is if listeners would like to learn more about you and your work or potentially connect with you, where should they go? I think that the best place to find me right now it would probably be on LinkedIn. If you were to go to LinkedIn, I think it's backslash Ellen Wagner, um, I've made a point of listing, you know, articles, papers, videos, things of that uh, of that nature. I think there's a couple interviews in there uh, with some folks. Uh, that when those types of things come up, I've just found that putting it out on LinkedIn is sometimes the easiest way for people who are just sort of interested uh, to to get a taste of some of the work. So um, I think that would probably be the the best way. And of course, you can certainly reach me easily if if there's something in there you have a question, you want to challenge an idea. Uh, I love that. It's always good to to have challenges because as we challenge each other's thinking, the thinking only gets better. Well, wonderful. We'll make sure to get a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for this episode. And Ellen, thank you very much for taking time with talking to me for the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks. It's been great talking. Thank you. That concludes the interview with Dr. Ellen Wagner. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 201. And the show notes will include the reflection questions that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. And those include, what problems are you trying to solve or what questions are you trying to answer with data analytics? And where might you and your team be too comfortable? Where might you need to get uncomfortable in order to benefit from a new perspective? When you check out the show notes, you're also going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, Jeff and I would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing with the podcast. We'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. Salisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we want to give a quick shout out to Wild Coyote for his recent five-star rating and review that says... I'm loving how relevant the information is. Yes, we're definitely grateful for that review. And we'd be grateful if you too would check out our sponsors for this quarter. 
Visit CompPartners at leadinglearning.com slash CompPartners and find out about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. And you can, of course, share us with others on Facebook. However you do it, please spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.